Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz saxophonist Chris Allen. He grew up in Connecticut and went on to learn quite a bit with the legendary alto saxophonist Jackie McLean, and that was at Hartford's Artist Collective. These days, he is promoting his second album as a leader, and it's 2016's Beloved and It's a Great Listen. And he continues to be a very sought-after sideman as well. Over the years, he's worked with the best in the business, and the groups of Illinois Jacquette, Gerald Wilson, Helen Song, the Mingus Dynasty, and so many other bands. He's got some great insights and a full jazz story. So get to know Chris and dig this interview, my friends. So I'm going to go ahead and dive right in here. I know you're a, a very busy educator and musician, but give me an idea in your own words. What's been going on with you lately? In the media lately uh, has been the release of this new record, Beloved, on uh, Truth Revolution Records and a, and a whole bunch of different CD release kind of concerts and, and promotions, things we're doing. We just, my group just had a week at Dizzy's Club Coca-Cola as part of the Link, Jazz and Lincoln Center complex just the, this past week. And we have other other events coming out um, later this summer and through the fall. Um, my label, Truth Revolution Records, does a, a lot of cool things with... Uh, I think it's an app called Periscope where we, we put on live concerts that are streamed um, in real time over over the Internet. Um, so I'll be doing one of those in August. Another concert at a club in, in Connecticut called The Ninth Notes, um, also in August. But um, just a, a lot of, I don't know, I'm just enjoying the, this release, getting to talk to a lot of folks like yourself and, um, and play a lot with the group, so it's been fun. So talk to me about Beloved. How do you feel about this album and the Afterglow? Now that it's out and you've had time to promote, what do you think? I was really happy with it. You know, you know, these things take time. It was uh it was recorded about a year ago and so any judgment or or sense of um happiness or dismay would would have been mostly then and I was I was really happy with it from the beginning and in a lot of ways it was the fulfillment of uh, maybe some challenges I put to myself, like to it was the first project I ever did with without a piano or without any really chords, and that was sort of a specific kind of compositional uh, challenge I almost put to myself to sort of get away from thinking uh, very uh, piano focused and and striving for a unique sound in that way. And and I was happy with how that came out. I was certainly happy with um, how all the guys in, in the band played the music, and I especially kind of wanted to make a project of really focusing on saxophone and two saxophones and just you know playing those unison melodies and exploring the different ways that that you could you know even utilize just two horns um and I was really you know thrilled with how how Frank and I uh, were able to kind of phrase together so I I've 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 been really proud of the music for uh for a long time and and then it's been it's been very well received uh, from folks all over so that's that's obviously gratifying too it's it's nice to you know, it's it's frankly it's nice to know or or just feel or perceive that people are giving you a listen and, and a thoughtful listen. Really, even if even if they're not crazy about it, but most of the people who who I hear from really really enjoy it. So that feel that of course feels good. Right on. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to go back to the beginnings of your life here, growing up in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about your childhood and how you got into jazz. Let me think. I I I played piano from very very early on. Um, my mother is a musician. Uh, studied organ. Was was a church organist. And and uh, my brother and I both uh, started piano lessons at a very young age. And 
so we had sort of a basic music aptitude and, and you know, kind of always music happening. Jazz was something that was, was real particular to my town when I was in, in West Hartford, Connecticut. Um, I think I started playing saxophone just because I wanted to be in the band with my friends and, and saxophone. I'm not sure there was that much behind that decision. I just thought it looked cool. And, but once I, I uh, kind of got a hold of that and really started to enjoy the instrument, uh, there's quite a, a tradition in in the high school that I ended up attending of, of really excellent uh, jazz groups. And so you know, that energy kind of propelled me on. I think, I think for most kids, you know, if they're going to get passionate about something when they're 13 and 14, it's going to largely be because of their peers and, and, you know, something they do all together. And certainly, you know, all my friends, strangely enough, we were, we were all into, you know, playing jazz music. And then and the other side of the coin was uh, Jackie McLean, who uh, lived just across town and uh, had an, an arts organization in the north end of Hartford that was it's called the Artist Collective, still still going strong today and it it uh it's still like an after school program that that uh schools people in all the arts of the African diaspora. So you've got jazz but different kinds of dance, all different kinds of music, African drumming and so I would go there for after school programs but also for things over the summer. Uh, I think really through meeting you know, I, I was real into being in the school band and, and that was a fun thing, but really through meeting meeting Jackie and, and also the the folks who are in his band who might have been only 10 or 15 years older than me, um, that's when I began to sort of conceptualize, you know, doing this for a lifetime or making a career out of out of music, just being around all these kind of young professionals. So, um, yeah, that's what really did it for me. So in those early days when you were listening to jazz, what mm-hmm. albums really blew you away? What really got you going? That's a great question. There's one... I remember early on, I mean, you know, I, I listened to a lot of things. Once once you're, I always joke about, you know, when, when kids are of a certain age, they might have, you know, distant relatives who might not see them very often and just know, like, what they're into. And so, you know, some kids, you know, they just get known as, like, the soccer kid. And I think after a time I was known as the kid that plays saxophone, so people would be giving me... Um, all kinds of saxophone discs, maybe like, you know, the greatest hits of saxophone jazz or Kenny G or David Sanborn or Charlie Parker. And, and you know, I, I took all that stuff in and was impressed with it maybe, but, but I, I think the first record I really remember falling in love with was a, a Blue Note record, uh, Lee Morgan, The Gigolo. Um, I think my my friend, uh, a good friend of mine, Josh Wittenberg, had that on a cassette, and, and we listened to that a lot. And we kind of, you know, migrated there from from that. Just kind of fell in love with all the, you know, the Blue Note catalog, more more Lee Morgan records. Remember Joe Henderson mode for Joe. Eventually, I made the connection that this guy that I knew, Jackie McLean, was also on some of these records and played with the same people. So, you know, listened to his records, but also stuff he did. Um, more modern day, I remember being super into um, a record he put out in the very early 90s called Dynasty. Those were, yeah, those were the sounds that, that I I really, you know, gravitated to, um, that, that Blue Note era stuff. And then from there, I kind of worked forwards and backwards, 
became super into Cannonball Adderley. I became super into Kenny Garrett. And then eventually even went, you know, now I would say, you know, Parker is my favorite. And I'm, I'm, and Lester Young is up there too. You know, I think, I think, you know, usually uh, I see this pattern happen with a lot of young people. You, you kind of maybe gravitate to music that happens in the 50s, but then work your way sort of forward and backward in time simultaneously. So I'm not that weird in that regard. Yeah, no, absolutely yeah. not. No, I hear that all the time. Yeah. The one thing I did want to ask you about Jackie before we move on is, mm-hmm. how long did it take for you to get over those butterflies of being around him? There really weren't butterflies because I didn't really get it. It was kind of a, a simple thing where where I I had a, a saxophone teacher in uh, in middle school, uh, a guy, great teacher, a guy I learned a lot from, a guy named George Ventrelli. Um, you know, sort of a local Connecticut guy. You know, and I went away to summer camp, and he had a heart attack and passed away. And so it was, you know, he came back from from camp, and you know, mom and dad said, "Oh, your teacher died. You know, we got to find another teacher." And it, to me, it was just like, "Oh, this this Jackie McLean guy's around. Like, let's, you know, I should I should probably sort of investigate him." And I, I didn't I didn't really get the sort of the different echelon that that represented. And and then you know, I met him, and but he was. To me, just this guy that ran this this cool school that I was part of, and but but I mean certainly, you know, folks at the Artist Collective did treat him with a, a degree of, of reverence or respect that you know was unusual and and was was interesting. But I, I guess I guess by the time I really appreciated sort of his historical importance, I already knew him too well. I already been at his house, and there I guess I don't really remember butterflies in that way. I gotcha. Yeah. So let me ask you this before we depart childhood. Did you always know you were going to be a musician, or were there other things you were thinking about? Hmm. Well, I'm sure there was other things. I don't remember specifics, but but uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I was hoping to be some kind of athlete for a few years in there. The music thing, probably. I don't know. I, I think you, if you had talked to me when I was maybe by the time I was 15, I would have said I'd be a musician. But before then, probably wanted to play basketball, or um, I don't know. I'm, I'm blanking. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure my parents could probably, you know, fill me in on some of the other things. I joke now that, you know, now I have, you know, my own elementary age kids, and and it's it's funny how there's certain ages where, you know, every kid wants to be a veterinarian, and then like the next year, every kid wants to be, you know, something else. They kind of tend to go in waves, and I, I'm sure I was probably like that too. Let me ask you this. You traveled extensively, obviously playing in New York, around the U.S., mm-hmm. and around the world. What does traveling do for you to enhance your music writing and delivery? What does it do for your music brain? It's a little bit different, honestly. I mean, I, I do I do love to travel, and um, I just love it in and of itself. You know, it's it's so great to to meet you know new musicians and, and play in different places. And some places you go... You know, I, I was I was in Korea recently, and and uh, there there just seemed to be, you know, just a, a lot happening, a lot of a lot of young musicians, and every scene is great, and so, um, you know, I, I'm and there's a specific group of of Korean of guys who live in Korea um, that I actually hope to keep on collaborating with, so that's a that's a fruitful thing, although I, I will say that I'm afraid that that compared to maybe 50 or 60 years ago, like when when you see uh, sort of later Duke Ellington when he's 
you know, he's traveling the world on State Department tours, right? He'll go to the Far East and then come back and write a suite. He'll go to South America, come back and write a suite. Um, and, I mean, you're probably familiar with the music, but it's it's such wonderful music, and he manages to sort of depict those cultures um, in in a way that doesn't cheapen them or it doesn't sound cliched, but, but they're wonderful. I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm kind of afraid that, because of the way things are with our culture and the internet and globalization, I'm, I'm afraid that 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 experience is is only available in a less potent way now. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that we, you know, in every any major city in the world, you're gonna find similar things than 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 you that you would to to New York. I'm not saying that there's there's nothing new to be out there, but I, I think I think that's a good way to put it. That that experience is is a little less potent. And on the other side of the coin, you know, all the the musics of the world are pretty much available to anybody even without getting on a plane. But it does you know, I do think about that that sometimes sort of the the lost um the lost romance of that, you know, if I could even you know, a time when I could even you know have to get in a plane and I can get into a car and drive from the East Coast to Kansas City and get out of my car and hear something that I just would not have heard had I not taken the trip. You know, that's that's pretty cool. With all that as a as a sort of an asterisk, I'm sure you know every any experience you have that's meaningful, you know, finds a way into your music. But I'm I'm struggling to think of of one specific you know sort of musical idea or or, or rhythm or or musical device that that I. I picked up directly through through being somewhere that that wasn't, you know, home. No, I like that tangent you went on. That's really good. I like that 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 definitely. So I'm going to stay in this vein of of musicians and playing and touring. You've been in the groups of Illinois Jacquet, Gerald Wilson. I mean, I could go on and on. Gary Smulian, Kendrick uh-huh. Oliver's New Life. What do you learn when you get around? these big outfits with these individuals that have all this mileage behind them. What do you learn from being with those groups? I mean, there's something, there's something you learn from, you know, of the ones, of the ones you mentioned, um, for example, well, well, Illinois Jaquette was someone that, that I was only with for a very short amount of time at the very end of his life. And, you know, from, from him, it was, it was very interesting to see, um, the f- flying home solo, that the sort of the iconic solo in the, in the Lionel Hampton recording way back in the '30s, that that really put him on the map. Um, it, it was interesting to see him play that every night, and we even had a a, a, a chordal, like a saxophone arranged version of it. And um, you know, this one this one solo sort of, you know, defined him, but he wasn't shying away from it and, and he would um he loved to play it and and it didn't really matter to him that it was the same thing as, you know, the 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 last time he played and, and you know, decades upon decades. That was I'm not sure if I can even crystallize a uh an exact lesson from that, but that was interesting to see in, in in that it was so different from the way that, that I was used to thinking about playing or in in, in the circles that I'd been in. Um, I mean, it's just fascinating to see people who who conceptualize and, and expect and appreciate different things about the music than you do. Um, Kendrick Oliver, out of those lists, so Kendrick Oliver is 
you know, he's another young guy like me. He's he's, he's more of a peer. Um, and that that band hasn't hasn't played in, in a few years. But it was one of the more long long ranging things I did. You know, maybe for about ten years. And and we used to play a, a lot of different places. And and it was a challenge in that, um, but a fun challenge because repertoire didn't didn't change that much. We had a couple different concerts, but but we um, we played the same tunes. It was mostly originals but but kind of based on a, a 50s bassy kind of sound and and um that was a fun and rewarding experience just to play the same things again and again and again and and, and that band would even um improvise charts on the stage we just like play a blues and then um kind of i i think i think very much in keeping with sort of a, a, a count bassy in kansas city tradition of just uh, sections creating riffs spontaneously and then layering them, and uh, I actually use that um, in in teaching situations all the time. But but that was fun, and and just being alongside so many other uh, great soloists like that band at, at times. Um, you know, some of the other guys would be Jimmy Green, Walter Smith, Jeremy Pelt, um, Tyrone Chase playing guitar. You know, just really guys who you know I'm still in touch with but who are you know sort of at the at the heights of of their their careers and visibility now and and uh it it's just it's it's really neat to play it's neat to to be in a band where you're playing constantly all the time but it's also fun when you're taking one or two solos a night and just doing a lot of listening there's a lot of lessons that 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 we learn by playing and and you know I think about this a lot because I'm in education a lot but I, I do think there is there's something about learning to play this music particularly that that you you can't shortchange or or shortcut time there's a there's a constancy that's that's needed even if there's not any instruction being given or or lessons that one could could write down just just doing it again and again it's part of the DNA of of how you know people learn to improvise or or play or or phrase just any situation even if you're not you know it doesn't even have to be a band that works and, and performs and travels. It could be a bunch of kids that get together all the time and play at someone's house. But if but that 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 constancy and that regularity, that's that I think that's that's a, such a key piece. Um, and it's what all of us all of us musicians are 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 going for out there. You know, fighting. I think it's why it's why we we fight for visibility and 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 uh, wider audiences because we want to be able to do what we do more often. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. You talked about kind of going into a reversion where you've, you've gotten into Charlie Parker and a lot of people that you didn't in the beginning. Uh-huh. And you've been pretty clear about who your influences are. It says that, you know, you were channeling, you know, Parker and Young and Mingus and Ellington and Rollins and Coltrane uh-huh. and all kinds of people in this album. So let me ask you this. If you could get into a time machine and see maybe one or two people in the history of jazz, who would you go see live and where would you go? And, I, and I'll forget all this stuff about you know when people travel through time they eventually mess everything up and like the whole world falls apart right yeah but I mean, we've all seen the movie so you can't you know but <laughs> I'll, no I'll and, and and I was talking about that with a friend the other day and when McFly went back to fix his folks everything fell apart but for some reason this question it's like a crystal bubble nothing gets infected <laughs> you're not even in the room you're invisible you're like a hologram from Star Trek awesome okay <laughs> first let me think I. I would definitely, I would definitely see Bird. I would definitely see, you know, Charlie Parker, just because 
I mean, chiefly, I just want to hear his tone because I, you know, the the recording fidelity uh, when he was making record, records, some of it is not bad, but it's not as good as as it would be just a few decades later. And, and I just have the sense that that I love his sound, but that I would love it even more if I heard, you know, if I stood next to him. And there's something, and you know, other musicians of other instruments might roll their eyes at this next comment, but there really is something about alto saxophone that's at times hard to capture in recording. I'm all the time hearing folks, you know, maybe players around modern days. I can't think of, of examples off the top of my head, but I'm, I'm all the time hearing alto players live where I'm just absolutely blown away by their tones. Oh, it's just a beautiful sound. And now on the record, it just doesn't translate. So I would definitely see see Parker. Gosh, I mean, you know, what wouldn't you want to see? I'd see Clifford Brown. I'd love to see, obviously, you know, Coltrane's band. That's that's such a uh, iconic band. I'd love to see what it was like. You know, there's a Lester Young, as I mentioned before, such a, a favorite. And I suppose, again, the, rec- the recording technology of the time not only limits the sound, but, but limits the, the length of solos. So where you're, you know, when you're checking out most recordings, especially early Lester Young, um, you're, you're only hearing 16 bars at a time. And wouldn't it be great to go back and, and, and maybe, you know, be in Kansas City before that, before those musicians even really, you know, traveled uh, to New York and wider, wider places, maybe, and hear them play where he would be taking really, really long solos. Hopefully, I think, I guess those would be those would be two. But shoot, you know, yeah, there'd be a lot. He, there'd be a lot of good things. Yeah. Well, you know, with with the whole idea that the future could be messed up, maybe that's the idea for another screenplay. Back mm-hmm. to the jazz, and you you see enough to screw everything up, but enough to fix everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so let me ask you this: Why do you love jazz? Shoot, I think I think the the fifteen or sixteen year old version of myself would be would probably give a more interesting answer. I, I mean, by now I'm too far gone, and, and so it's too much a part of me. You know, I'm I'm sort of addicted to the point. I, I was I'm actually reading a book now. It's someone's autobiography. Um, and there's a quote in just the part I just read that, that was really interesting where he said, and this guy's not a musician, but he says, um, music is the, the ropes that, that tie together, you know, the jumbled memories on, on my life's pickup truck. And he just meant that, that, you know, every, every piece of music he, he hears is, is tied up with, you know, it, it evokes memories. It's sort of like, you know, life concentrate or something and, and and that's certainly for me i mean you know all my by now all my friendships and everything is kind of tied up in this music so it's 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 hard to say but but why did i like jazz when at the beginning um when i had no history and it was just approaching me on its own merits i i think it sounded um exciting and and brave and adventurous and I'm sure I liked the part, not just about it being improvised, but it being um, improvised collaboratively, right? Where where you're only you're only ever responsible for 
for just but a part of it. And and you might have ideas about where you want things to go, but um, but you have to always you know kind of stay flexible and and. And when you have a few of those experiences with with people, you know, with friends of yours that you start to play with, and and a few of those experiences where things could go anywhere and they end up going somewhere cool, and you went there together, um, that's that's sort of exhilarating and 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 addictive. And so I think that's that's probably what got me at the beginning. I, I realized that that you know those experiences probably could have been had in in other in other ways, other genres, or even other things. And certain chance involved in, in, you know, what what makes someone fall in love with something or someone. So, Right on. It's mysterious. <laughs> Absolutely. So let me ask you, this is my final question. Everyone has a version of who you are, your family, your friends, your students, uh-huh. and everybody that listens to your music. But who do you think you are? When you wake up every day, who do you think you are? Wow, this is a really uh, potent question. I think I am anyway. Who do you <laughs> think you are? <laughs> um, I'm leading. I'm leading the ship. Well, I'm not saying I, I. I hope I would learn to 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 see myself, you know, someone uh, a a child of God, and 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 someone who's who's being led by um, things bigger and outside himself. Um, I suppose in any given moment, I I I would probably. You know, literally, if you're saying like waking up, like I'm probably being hoping that that uh, like right now I'm on vacation with my family, so I'm I'm thinking you know I'm dad and husband and just you know enjoying time. But you know maybe you know with with my students, I'm I'm hoping you know, you know I think you're always kind of like you know fighting for the parts of yourself that you feel um, are are being forgotten or overlooked. So maybe when I'm, you know, just been with students for a long time, I'm I'm sort of inwardly fighting to to be known as and be thought of as as a performer and then and then vice versa and once I get away from that for a while, I just want to, you know, talk to people about how my my students and how great they are, you know. Uh I ideally I'm trying not I was just actually talking with my son about this. I'm trying not to worry too much about, you know, fame or notoriety in in any of those those worldly ways and um just kind of trust and and be be known by by gratitude for what i have and that's what i'm that's what i'm going for anyway and right that, on that's for something i do yeah, yeah without a doubt that, and yeah. i think that's a great way to wrap everything up chris yeah. thank you for opening up your story to me and giving me your time today i appreciate it hey, it's my pleasure talking to you thanks joe Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, Connecticut, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Chris for his cool, his music, and all of those stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com for all things Neon Jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.